of and verse number five. I've been in the back, and I almost thought I was late coming out here. But look at verse five. It says, And she brought forth a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up into God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that there should feed her, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, there a thousand two hundred and threescore days, talking about one thousand uh, two hundred and sixty days. And you remember we talked about this last Sunday. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Look at verse 8. I love this. It says, And prevailed not, neither was there any place found any more in heaven. Amen. The Bible says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, or saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth. Look at this. He hath but a short time. He's only got a little time. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for your word. God, as Megan said in her testimony this morning, uh, the impact that the Word of God has had on her life. Lord, it's one of those things where I love to hear, uh, especially a young person, a young adult, talk about how that they weren't reading their Bible, they weren't praying. But then when they begin to read and they begin to pray and they begin to, as she used the word, communicate with you, Lord, then that relationship Lord, became a wonderful relationship, one where you spoke to her, she spoke to you through the word and through prayer. God, you, you lead us and you guide us. And I don't understand how we can have a good relationship if it's not for the word and if it's not for prayer time. We wouldn't know anything about you if we don't read it about you, if we don't talk to you and we don't experience that. I thank you for a testimony. Lord, not only in that way, but God, even her quoting the scriptures, what a wonderful thing it is to hear her quote the scriptures. God, what a great thing this morning to start us off and to excite us and to get ready and to encourage us to get into the Word of God because that's where it's at. Lord, I ask you that you'd please speak to us today like only the only way that you can, and that's through your Spirit, through your Word, through the still, small voice of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Father, I pray that when everything is done, when the lights are turned out, that we could all say that we were, we were in the presence of an almighty God, that we were not in the presence of a great preacher, but we were in the presence of a great God. God, I ask you to do what only you could do today, Lord, and that is to help hearts, change hearts, mend broken hearts, and create a new heart in them, Lord. For it's in the name of Christ we ask all of these things together. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I'm going to kind of be going faster than normal. I've got a bunch of stuff that we want to cover. But if you've been here the last three Sundays, counting this one, you would know that we've already talked about some few things. This is kind of the, the untold nativity story we've been talking about. You know, we've already went through the nativity story during Christmas time. We talked about uh, that birth there in Bethlehem. We talked about the announcing there. We talked about how the angels came and spoke the word of the Lord unto all of those shepherds. And they, they went out. But when you look at this story, 
story. This is kind of like the nativity story that nobody ever reads and nobody ever talks about. It's one of those things where you go, all right, in the first nativity story, you had a manger, you had swaddling clothes, you had, you had the uh, shepherds that were there praising and giving glory to God, you had the angels that were present giving glory to God, you had all of these things, you had the star of Bethlehem, later you had those wise men, those magi, those wise men from the east as they came and uh, as they were actually firemen too because the Bible says they came from afar. And uh, when they came over, y'all are going to have to get on it today, all right? Keep up. It's fast, all right? But whenever they came over, we read all that and we go, oh, <clears throat> what a beautiful Christmas story and what a beautiful story <clears throat> of the birth of Jesus Christ. Even Matthew says it like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, you know? When you think about that, no one has ever looked in the book of Revelation. No one has ever sat down by the fireplace hearth and they, they leaned down and said, we're going to talk about the Christmas story tonight, kids, and we're going to go to Revelation chapter number 12 to do this because no one except Steve Abney in their right mind would do something like that. But we're looking at this, and this is the actual nativity story. This is not a story about some superstar. This is not a story about the devil. It's not the story, and we're talking about the dragon, but it's not the story about that. But in the nativity in Matthew and in Luke, who is the central character in the nativity story? Jesus, the baby that's in a manger. Everyone knows that, right? So when we look at this one, we've talked about, first of all, the woman. We said that there was this woman that was presented. It says she was clothed with the sun. She was upheld by the moon. It says she had 12 stars that was in her crown and that she was great with child. She was pregnant with child. Remember, I tried to show you that last Sunday. I told you that I would try to show you what being great with child was, but I had to keep my shirt tucked in, so I, I couldn't bend over and do that. But if you would went out to eat with us on Sunday night, Brother Craig demonstrated it for us all after we ate Hardee's, okay? And I said, that's what being great with child is. I needed you to do that Sunday. But we talked about the woman being Israel. Because why? The Bible says that Israel would be clothed with the sun. It would be upheld by the moon. And what that was was not talking about great light givers, the great light and the lesser light, but talking about the presence of God would be always with the children of Israel. And it was with that woman that's called Israel. Whether she was in the desert or whether she was in the mountains, she would always have the presence of God with her. And the 12 stars represented those 12 tribes. Then the second thing we talked about on last Sunday was about that dragon. There was a great dragon that was there. And you look at it and you go, well, what did that mean? We talked about that Hebrew word for dragon was crocodile. We talked about how the Egyptians would throw their children out and sacrifice them and also the the firstborn of Israel out into the Nile River to be devoured by that crocodile, that it was a beast. And when you look at it, this dragon represents who? It says that old serpent describes him from the one that was in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Not only was the old serpent old as from the beginning, serpent being the one that was subtle of all the beasts, and he was sneaky and conniving. But the next thing it says, his name was the devil and Satan. You remember we talked about the devil, Diablos, the one that would go against you, the one that was your adversary, or excuse me, the one that would slander your name. He was a slanderer. But then it says his name was Satan, and Satan meant that he is your adversary. He is the one that brings adversity. He's the one that tries to stand between you and God. He is the division between it all, amen? It's because of our sins and because of Satan. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the child. 
We're going to go through this scripture kind of uh, a little bit quicker, but I want you to look at verse number 5 with me. Revelation 12, verse number 5, it says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. I want you to look at the first thing, talking about this is the description. If you're, you're taking notes this morning, this is the description of that child. Found in that verse, there are three things. And looking at those three things, I want you to look at the first part that you see. The Bible says, brought forth a man-child. Looking at that, that just shows us that this is prophecy being fulfilled. This is God's word in Isaiah, God's word in Ezekiel, God's word out of the book of Psalms. Even though Psalms is a book of songs or poetry, it is a psalm also of prophecy. The Bible talks about in Psalms 22 about that great shepherd. The Psalms 23 talks about the good shepherd. Psalms number 24 talks about that grieving shepherd that paid the penalty for all of our sins. It's prophecy all written through there. And when you look at that, This story, this nativity story, or this Christmas story out of Revelation doesn't really describe the full nativity story. There are no angels that come down and herald the birth of Jesus Christ. There are no shepherds out in the field abiding their sheep and looking over them by night. There are no wise men that are going to appear later. There's none of these things. The Bible is showing us what the true story of the birth of Jesus Christ was like. The woman was great with child, and do you remember the dragon? Do you remember what his disposition was? you remember what his stance was? He was ready to devour this child, the Messiah, the promised one, as soon as it was born. Not before it was born, but as soon as it was born, he was going to devour him. You remember Jesus, even in the beginning of his ministry, when he began his earthly ministry, not as a child, not as a 12-year-old in the temple, but at about 29, 30 years of age, when he began his ministry, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness, and who was there? Satan. Satan was there to do what? To try to get him to bow down to him and worship him, to try to get him to fall, to try to tempt God in the flesh. Can you imagine Satan for a moment, church? Satan has already lost the war. We know that from last Sunday. There was a war in heaven. Michael and the angels of God fought against the devil and the angels that he pulled down with, the Bible says, with his tail. What it is is he lured them down, a third of the angels. There was already a war, and he's defeated. So, Brother Ricky, think about as this woman, is ready to give this birth to this child and he's ready to devour it at any moment he's thinking as long as he is there by the throne of God I can't touch him but if I can get him or if we can find him at any other situation then maybe I could be able to hurt him maybe I could overcome him if I could just simply get him away from the throne now some of you are looking like you don't understand what I'm talking about so I'm going to break it down to you in Steve Abney country terminology You may have an argument in the classroom and the teacher is there. And as long as that teacher is there, now do not go by this. We have a principal in here. As long as we go by this, this was old school. This is not nowadays, okay? But used to, you'd go, that's fine. I'll see you later. (laughs) Brent acts like he's been in many fights, right? I'll see you at 3 o'clock, right? Or as the old phrase used to be, where I went to school, I'll meet you at Willis's. Okay, some of y'all have no idea what we're talking about, but that went on, you know, and Mr. Trotter showed up there also. People that were close to the throne brought him with them, right? And it was like, man, why do you bring him, you know? But if you could get him away, you know what I'm talking about now. If you could just lure them away and get them alone, you got them. 
That's exactly the mindset of Satan. So think about it, church. Here comes, here comes David. Oh, I'll get him. Here comes Solomon. Oh, I'll get him. You know, he got David with Bathsheba. He got Solomon with hundreds of wives, uh, even 700 wives and 300 concubines. All this, he got him. And, oh, I'll get them. And all of a sudden, when Jesus, Emmanuel, that was born in the flesh, God in the flesh, was not beside the throne anymore, but he came to earth, the Bible says, and put on what? A servant body and he became sin who knew no sin that we might have the righteousness of God in him that's why it's called grace it is God's riches at Christ's expense amen and what it means is is that when he got away from the very throne Satan you can imagine now I've got him you know what I mean? Yeah, now we're going to meet at Willis's, but he met in the wilderness, all right? And we're going to go over here, and I'm going to get you. The Bible says that this child, the description of the child, it's simple. Look at what it says about him. It describes, he's born. He's born. Now, some of us, we look at that, and we go, Brother Steve, I need a little bit more. You've had enough. I mean, haven't you already had enough in the Scriptures to understand about the coming of Jesus? If we want to understand the coming of Jesus, we could go back to Luke and go back to Matthew. We could also go back to the beginning of Revelation and understand Revelation chapter number 5. All of these things were talked about. There's no mention of him coming and being in swaddling clothes. There's no mention of him dying on the cross for our sins in this chapter. There is no mention, or in this verse, there's no mention of him doing all of these great miracles and all this. It just says that Jesus was born of this woman which should be enough for us. Because if we understand Scripture, it says that he was born of a virgin. Amen. Amen. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit of God and born of a virgin. The Bible says that he came to this world. What we need to understand in the gospel, first of all, before we ever get to the cross, we got to go to the birth. we got to go to the manger and believe that he's here. And all of that prophecy shares all of that. Think about it. It doesn't talk about the cross. We've already learned that in Revelation chapter 5. The, the description of Jesus is that he was born. Look at another thing right here. Look at the dominance of this child. He, he was one that the Bible says in verse number 5, look at the second thing. It says that he was going to rule with a rod of iron. The Bible says not only would he rule one nation or he would rule two nations or he would rule many nations, but the word of God says he was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And you look at that and you go, Brother Steve, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus be better fit as a king to rule with a scepter or a rod of gold? Or maybe even a scepter or a rod of silver. Or maybe even one that would <clears throat> be of, of diamonds or, or pearl. That he would, He's worthy of all of that, right, Brother Jimmy? He's worthy to be ruling with a gold scepter in his hand. But the Bible says that he will rule all nations with a rod of iron. Why? Because of prophecy. Because the Bible teaches us, and understand this, in Rev Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. I want you to understand something before we go on, because I don't want to blow theology. I don't want to mess out on this right here. But a lot of people think when we talk about how God has a predestinated plan for us, that they actually think that they had a plan for uh, Cody, and then they had a plan for Greg, and then they had a plan for Ashley, and then God had a plan for Tori. That in some minds, people say that God had a plan, a predestinated plan, that actually Cody, 
Cody would be one that as he was born, that he would be destined to die and go to hell, and that therefore Greg would be destined to die and go to heaven. And they look at Scripture and they maneuver and twist it in such a way to where it almost sounds that way because Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 deal with Israel, and he says, listen, God is a great potter. And the Bible says God being the great potter and that he has power over the clay, right? We agree that God has power over his creation is what he's saying. And he has power over that. It says that some of them are vessels of wrath and some of them are vessels of glory. Some are vessels of destruction and some are vessels of God's honor and glory. And you look at that and you're tempted to say, okay, God's doing that on purpose then. So he made Cody to die to go to hell and he made Greg to die and go to heaven and he made Ashley, what's going to leave the women alone? Y'all can fight over that. They may get their feelings hurt. One of them, one or the other. And that this is actually <clears throat> selection or predestination, and it's called Calvinism. But God didn't do that because throughout the scriptures, church, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, To all that believe that he is, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. The Bible tells us over and over and over that God so loved the world, not just portions. And God loved Israel, but don't get me wrong. God loved Israel for a purpose. And what was that purpose? He was going to use them as a nation. And Romans 9, 10, and 11 deal with this. God molding Israel into the nation that he wants them to be. Not God giving salvation only to Israel, but God bringing his son, which was going to do what? Author all of our salvation. And it was going to come through the lineage and come through the nation of Israel. And listen, the Egyptians did not want it. They did not have anything to do with it because they rejected the message. Moses actually went and spoke to Pharaoh 10 different times. Gave an opportunity to repent 10 different times. But because of what was in the heart of Pharaoh, he hardened his heart against God and therefore he closed off his ears to God. And you say, what do you mean? The same sun that shines on clay, that shines on wax, actually is always going to be the same sun. The sun is not changing. God's grace is not changing. God's mercy is unchanging. God's mercy, the Bible says in Psalms 137 or 136, endureth forever. No, no, no. But what it is shining on, what it is going to, see the same sun that takes that clay that's real soft, that sun comes on it, what does it do? It hardens and becomes brittle and it breaks. But whenever it comes upon that wax, what does it do? It softens, right? Listen, church. Just because what's on the potter's wheel does not want to yield to the potter's hands means that God made it to go to hell. No. No. God will set that aside and he will not use it. But sometimes, Brother Brian, he will squeeze harder. He will apply more water. He will apply more because his desire is what? Listen, church, you cannot convince me that God doesn't want to save the world because the scriptures tell us that he is not willing that any should perish, that by all should come to repentance. Amen? Everybody has a chance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. From us in warrior to the people on an island today. Amen? Everybody has a chance. <clears throat> Looking at this, it says he will rule with a rod of iron. Why? Why? <clears throat> because those vessels that are there and they are vessels of wrath, they will, Brother Matt, be destroyed. 
by the king of all kings who has a rod of iron in his hand. Do you know what that potter would do if the vessel, Brother Ricky, was actually formed and it looked like a good vessel, it looked like a good nation, it looked like a good people, but yet you take that thing and put it into the fire and you put it into the kiln, it may come out totally different. I was in art class, and we made this big old thing, and we put a gonzo nose on it. I don't know if some of y'all remember the Muppets and gonzo, but a big old schnoz. Put a big old thing on there. You know why we did it? Because the teacher told us that we could not have air pockets in there, and so we thought in our minds, now this is another thing that you really don't want to listen to today, kids, but we thought we're going to stick one in there. It's got an air pocket because we want to know what it does. I mean, the teacher can tell you, but the experience is the best learner. It blew that thing slap off of that piece of pottery. That thing came out and its nose was laying in pieces and it had a big old hole right there. And we were like, <laughs> she's right. It happened, right? Because why? Because of the impurity, because of the air pocket, and because of other things that are in that clay, whenever he puts it into the kiln and fires it up, it's actually going to show because it's going to be a vessel of destruction. And what that means is not vessels that cause destruction, but vessels that have brought destruction to themselves. Because the potter does this. Whenever he sees a vessel, Brother Reggie, that is ruined, he takes his rod of iron and he crushes it. Because it is no more fit to be pliable and to be used again. It's prophecy. Listen to Psalms 2, verse number 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The Bible says Jesus will be born. That's his description. The Bible says Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. That is his dominance. Church, there's nobody, nobody that's going to have power like my Jesus has. There is no one, and I hear people all the time saying, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he did this, and I'm going to ask Jesus why he did all this, and I'm going to, you're not. I'm telling you, not disrespectfully, but I'm telling you, you will not. If you've experienced Nakalula Falls in the past two weeks, if you've experienced High Falls up in Gunnersville, Alabama in the last two weeks, you'll know that when you go there, that water coming over that, that, that fall through that river is raging loud. Even videos that I've seen, you can hardly hear the people talking in the background because of the water that's pouring over that fall. You know what the Bible says, the description that John gave in Revelation chapter number one? He said his eyes were like a flame of fire. His hair was white as wool. His feet was uh, uh, like polished brass as though they had been in the fire. But his voice, it says a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. But it says his voice was as the voice of many waters. And what that means is, Sister Darlene, is when you stand before him and he begins to read out your life and the account of those things, you'll not talk back to him. You'll not give your excuses to him. You may do it to the teacher. You may even do it to the principal. You may even do it to the pastor. You may do it to mom and dad. But when he begins to read out your life, you'll not talk back because his voice is as the voice of many waters. And I'm telling you, it will be drowned by his voice. Listen, the third thing is this, the disposition of this child, where he is, and looking at this. Look, we finally see in verse number 5, what does it say? It says that her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. I know what some of y'all are thinking. Some of y'all are thinking right now, it's 1140, and Brother Steve's already hit three points, and we're going to be out of here quick. I'm telling you, you're wrong. Because, listen, we're just getting in it. I'm telling you right now, we're just getting in it. I have been overwhelmed all weekend. I have been 
tired through the week. I've been weary through the week, but I've been overwhelmed all weekend reading about Jesus and reading about this scripture over and over and over and looking at it. And just Brother Craig just going, he was caught up into God and to the throne. Caught up into God and to the throne. Caught, and, and all I could think about is that's what's going to happen to me someday. I'm going to be caught up into God and to the throne of God. And Jesus did it first. And the Bible says he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He, What he did in this scripture is actually what's going to happen, amen? What he did in this scripture is what he is going to do someday also. We'll be caught up into God. It will be before the throne of God. The Bible teaches us right here, no, we don't see a cross in this nativity story. We see a woman and we see a dragon and we see this child. We don't see mangers. We don't see uh, the animals that were there. We don't see that there was no room for him in the end. We actually see, Brother Matt, that the world couldn't contain him. We don't see that they couldn't find a place for the baby Jesus to be born. We actually see that there was not a place for people to do anything other than bow down and worship this child who was called up into God. What we're seeing, church, is the finished work of Jesus Christ. No, we don't see a manger. No, we don't see swaddling clothes. No, no, no. What we don't see in Matthew and in Luke, we see something greater. You know why? Because we see one that is caught up unto God and to his throne. We don't see a baby that's wrapped up in grave clothes and Satan thinking he's going to hold him down. We see one that is caught up. You know what the word caught up means? Amen. It actually means what's happening to me right now. I'm a little caught up. Okay? It actually means rapio. It actually means in the Latin to rapture. It means to snatch away. Okay? You ever, you ever seen a kid, and, and, and you give one of them, if you got two or three kids together, you give one of them a lollipop, it doesn't matter. Listen, preferably they need to be walking, but they'll crawl and do these things. They'll go over there to that kid that's got something good, and you know what they do? They'll snatch it out of their hand. Hey, you know, kids just don't go up and go, could, could I have that? Could I have a lick of that? No. No, kids don't do that. They go over there, and they don't care. Who the kid is, they don't care what it is. They snatch it out of their hand. You ever seen them? Anybody got any kids? Huh? Any of these little kids like that? And maybe you've thought you've trained yours you know, better. But we're going to put some cameras in the nursery and show you what they're like. <laughs> they snatch it away. That's what the Bible says. Just when Satan thinks that Jesus is in his grasp, that he's in his hands and he's going to hold him down, the Bible says that the Father caught him away that the Bible says that the Father snatched him out of the hands of death, snatched him out of the hands of the grave, snatched him out of the claws of this dragon. You remember the dragon is ready to devour the baby as soon as it's born. But the Bible says as soon as Satan thinks he's going to get him, boom, he snatches him out. That's exciting, amen. That's exciting. I wish we were a Pentecostal church. We would be more excited than this. Amen. Snatched him out just when Satan thinks he's going to get us. We'll be caught out. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. The Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise and all of those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We're going to be caught away. Listen, you don't believe me. I can see it on your face. But look at what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. He said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may 
they give unto you. Look, he says, I want you to know him more. Listen, I got to take this off. I'm going to be a little sweaty today. I got to take it off. Listen, he said, I want you to know more and more and more about Jesus. Look at what he says. He said, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... He says, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. He says, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory or riches of the glory of inheritance in the saints. And what he's saying, stay right there for a second, Brother Britt. He's saying, I'm praying that God opens your eyes. He said, I'm praying. You know how it happened, Sister Megan, through the word of God. He said, I'm praying that God opens your eyes. I'm praying that God opens your enlightenment. I'm praying that God gives you wisdom. I'm praying that God shows you what? What is the hope of your calling? What is the, the, the riches of the glory of Jesus Christ? He said, I'm praying that God would show you what kind of inheritance that you have. Hey, man, he's saying, I want you to know what you got in Jesus. And that's my prayer. And look at this. Look at this next verse. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Amen. Who believe according to the working of his mighty power. He said, what was this power done? It says he wrought this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Look at that next scripture. It says, which is wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Oh, my goodness. Oh. It says, set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality, far above power, far above might, far above dominion, and far above every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world that is to come, amen? And he's put all things under his feet and has given him to be the head over all things of the church, which is his body, and I love these words, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The Bible says, I want you to know about Jesus. He says, I, I wish that I could describe to you what it's like to be a Christian. You know what it's like to be a Christian? It's not sitting around on your hands. It's not twiddling your thumbs. It's not being quiet like crickets. Being a Christian is, is, is being reverent unto the one who deserves all reverence. Amen. Being a Christian is not, not having fun. Not playing baseball. Not playing basketball or football. No, it's having a good time. Amen. I've always told everybody whenever I go and speak to the football team, knock the fire out of them, put them on their back and help them up and tell them about Jesus. Amen. Amen. You tell them you think how's a hard hit, Jesus hits harder, right? Listen, tell them about base, tell them all about that stuff. But I wish Christians knew what they had in Jesus. If you knew what you had in Jesus, I promise you, you would understand Psalms 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want what that means is, it doesn't mean the Lord's my shepherd that I don't want. That's not what it means. It means what the little girl told Adrian Rogers one day. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want another. It means that if I know who I have in Jesus and I know what I've got in Jesus and I know the inheritance, I know the riches of his grace, then why would I be searching for something else to fill this little heart and mind of mine? Christians are walking around like a bunch of turkeys. They walk around like turkeys with their heads down, looking for something to eat. Gobble, 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 blah, blah, blah. And they're looking around. They're talking. Always. The Bible says no. He said, you'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll soar over the problems of life. Amen. There's a difference between a turkey and an eagle. Amen. Yeah. You keep being a turkey, you'll get devoured. Huh? Especially around here in November, you'll get eat up. No. But an eagle, 
An eagle is protected by God. An eagle is, an, is a, uh, what do you call it? a majestic creature. It's described always as, as majesty and the wonderful beauty of God. Church, I'm telling you, if we just realize what we have, the Bible says that Jesus was called up, and where did he go? The Bible says that he called him up in that scripture and set him down at the right hand of the heavenly places. Listen to this. We're going to go in just a little bit. We've told you those things. I want you to look at it real quick one more time. This is going to really sum it up, the delivery of this woman. The delivery of this woman is found in just the simple verses there. Look, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Bible says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And you go, wait, what do you mean? The Bible talks about from the very beginning of our Bible, the very beginning in Genesis, the first book that he talked about that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, the promised one, was going to come through the seed of a woman. Not man. Woman. You know, we look at this, and a lot of people get mad at us, mad at Christians today, and they get mad at the Bible and stuff like that because they think that the women are somehow left out. It's not true at all. There were great women in the Bible. There was a woman named Tabitha. There was a woman named Dorcas. I'd probably named her something different, but that was her name. And uh, you know what she did? When she died, they laid out the quilts. When she died, the church house laid out the quilts in the church. They all brought the ones that she had made to honor her. There was a woman by the name of Lydia who was a very rich woman, a seller of purple. She fell in love with Jesus whom Paul preached to her about and she went and won many of her town. The Bible says that there was a woman who was married five times and was shacking up with a man in John chapter number 4 and she went back and told a whole city of Samaria and many people came to believe on Christ because of that woman. The Bible says that there was a woman who was highly favored and blessed among all women and the Bible says that she was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and it says that the thing in her that would happen would not be any production by Joseph or any other man but God the Father would be the father of that child because why? It needed royal DNA inside that child in order to be sinless. If it had been the son of Joseph he would have been a sinner just like you and I and he would have been brought lowly but because he was conceived of a woman the Bible says what he was born under the law under the law what did that mean under the law under the law of sin and death Jesus also was under the penalty in the flesh under the penalty of a condemned body just like you and I but in him was no sin on him was all sin the Bible says that it was going to bruise thy head and by bruise his heel. And what it was talking about in the very beginning, this woman would bring a son forth into this world that would be the Messiah and that he would defeat the devil. And it may seem like he is going to be hurt and he is going to be wounded, but he is going to be standing again in Revelation chapter 5 as a lamb who had been slain. Amen. <clears throat> Listen, we talked about the defeat of this dragon. Revelation 12 verses 9 and 10 talked about that. It says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He says, for the accuser of our brethren, verse 10, <clears throat> is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. The Bible says that Satan's demise, his defeat, has happened already. He is fighting from defeat. That's why I've told you that he can't win but he's trying to bring you down. He has got four fouls in the game, and he's making his fifth foul be a good one. 
He's got two strikes against him, and he's going to go out swinging, okay? He's backed up against the wall. He's got nothing to lose because he's already lost, and so he wants to bring you. Satan is defeated. But we talked about the third thing, the dominance of this child. These are things to hopefully help you remember this scripture. Revelation 12, look at verse 5 and verse 10. I'll put them together here. It says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up into God and to his throne. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation, or has come salvation, and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. The Bible says, now it's all played out. But there's one thing that I haven't talked to you about in this nativity story that's actually heralded by the angels in the beginning, that's actually told to Mary and Joseph before Jesus is born. Do you remember what the angels said? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. What is Jesus? It is Yeshua. It is meaning Jehovah saves. That he is bringing salvation. There's one thing I haven't told you about. And it is this. The deliverance of the believer. In the nativity story in Matthew and in Luke. We have the deliverance of the believer because his name shall be called Jesus. Jesus, there's just something about that name. In this nativity story or untold nativity story, what does it tell us about this one? Look at Revelation, look at verse 10, 11, and 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation. Look at these words. It's a loud voice, all right? So if you don't like it loud, it's not going to be cricket quiet in heaven. A loud voice. Why? Because, listen, they're announcing the champion. They're announcing the one who has defeated this foe. It says, there is a loud voice in heaven. Look what it says. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accused them before our God day and night. I love this. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. The Bible says that heaven is going to be full of rejoicing rejoicing. Why? Because we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The word of our testimony. Craig said that they will know you by your fruits. It says therefore what? They would know you, glorify your Father which is in heaven, right? They would bring glory to him. But because of our testimony, our testimony is what? It backs up our fruits. It backs up what we do. If we say we're a Christian for the love of all things holy, if you tell people you're a Christian, please act like a Christian. Live like a Christian and not a blankety-blank so-so doing all this Christian. No, live like a Christian. You know what the worst thing for the church is? Is when you come here and you're dressed up and your neighbor sees you. But on Monday, your neighbor hears you. On Tuesday, your neighbor watches you. On Wednesday, the people you work with see you. And when they talk about you, they say these things. I would have never believed that they were a Christian. When they find you, because they're lost, they also say this. Oh, I thought you said you were a Christian. God forbid that that stuff is said about us. 
It's time we as Christians wake up and realize we want the world to change around us and we got to be the change in the world. If we want people to look at us, listen, I've had people come up to me and say, Brother Steve, nobody ever asked me to pray for them. And I really don't have the heart to tell them. There's a reason. There is a reason. You know why? They probably don't believe that you're a man or a woman of prayer. They're not asking you to do that. Listen, if you had connections with a car dealership, they're coming and asking you for a discount. They are. They don't ask me for a discount because I can't get a discount, right? They don't do that. No, but when they want prayer, they want contact with God, they'll say, Brother Steve, will you pray for me? Absolutely. And what an honor and privilege it is to take your name to the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But there's a reason that people don't know that you're a Christian. And it ain't because you're not loud enough when you tell them. It's because you're not loud enough in your actions when you live it. Amen. I know that's tough to swallow, and that's like a turn of green, and you don't like them, but that's the truth. People don't want your Christ. Gandhi even said the same thing, that the reason that he did not ever want to be a Christian because he did not want the Christ that the Christians were professing. That's bad. We ought to be the salt and light in this world. We ought to be the example, amen, that God's called us to be. The Bible says that Jesus, when he was birthed, he brought deliverance to the believers. Hang in there with me just for a moment. The Bible says that Satan knew that this was going to be a great nativity. Just a few things right here at the end. He knew it was going to be a great nativity. The Bible says he knew it from Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, that these things were going to happen. Listen, he set his mark upon the seed of woman to do what? To devour it as soon as the child was born, to hold it in death, and not let this child, this Messiah, loose, and to keep this child from returning to the Father. Can you imagine just for a moment, Satan, as he has thought he has defeated Jesus. Satan thinks that he has ruined all of salvation. Why? Because he's got him in the clutch of the grave. Imagine, Brother Jimmy, just for a moment, he's holding him. And he's thinking he ain't getting out of here. Why? Why in our minds would Satan do something like that? Brother Steve, what scripture did you get that from? Listen, that's a thought process throughout all of scripture. Satan tried to hold him in death. The Bible even teaches us that death tries to hold us. Amen, I got news for you, they can't. And death is holding him. Now think for a moment. Satan is wonderfully having a good time and he's holding on. What is he trying to do? He is trying to prevent Jesus from doing what? Going back to the throne. If he can prevent him from going back to the throne, what could he do? He could do the same thing that he's done in Buddha. He could do the same thing he's done just a few months ago with Sun Young Moon. He can do the same thing. I can hold them all here and hold them by death. See, the difference in Jesus and all of this other stuff is that death couldn't hold him. Let me put it to you like this. S.M. Lockridge said it like this. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. He said, well, you can't get him out of your mind, and you can't get him out of your hand. He said, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. He said, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yes, that's my king. What it is is that Satan was trying to get Jesus, the Son of God, never to go back to the throne. Why? Because Satan can never go back beside the throne of God anymore. He's been kicked out. He's been booted out of heaven. We already talked about it. Jesus has prevailed. I about come unglued the other day. Andrew Johnson's preaching last Sunday night, and man, I'm excited. I want to hear some good preaching, and I like to preach more than I like to hear it, but I, I, I like to hear it sometimes and need to hear it. And he's preaching, and he's talking about something, and he says this word, prevailed. And I'm sitting there going, 
Yes, yes he has, yes he has. And I looked at the scriptures and I want you to know what I found. It began to just bubble up. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought in his angels. And look at this, brother Cody, and they prevailed not. They lost. Amen, come on. We need to do some kind of cheer this morning. We need to realize they lost. You know what I mean? Maybe we need to sing na 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 hey, hey, goodbye. Right? I know a little faster tune there, but we need to tell them that. Why? Because the Bible says not only did he get beat, he didn't prevail, which means he did not conquer in strength. The word prevail is actually a description that it means mighty in strength. If you look it up in the dictionary, there's my picture beside it. Mighty and strength. The Bible says he prevailed not. It was as Satan had to go, uncle, amen. Hey, man, is anybody here? I tr- sometimes I want to throw this thing all the way out to the door just to get you to look at me. Amen. But the Bible says not only did he not prevail, Brother Brandon, but it says, and he could not come back and fight again. He lost, and he does not have a two-loss bracket. Amen. He got whipped and he can't come back. But if that doesn't crank your tractor up, look at this verse. You remember Revelation chapter 5 as it was talking to the church at Thyatira. The Bible says, verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, look at these words, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. It means Jesus was strong enough to do what? To overcome the grave. Man, I don't know. That, I don't know why that doesn't excite you much more. I don't know what more that needs to be said. And listen, if the Spirit of God doesn't stir you up on that, there's nothing I could do. I, I get excited. I can't help it, but I fired up. Long time ago, I can remember sitting in my grandmother's church in Methodist church. Man, the Methodists, they were, they were, they were more quiet than you are. It was very quiet. We, they lit a lot of candles and did a lot of things. And we sang this song called the Doxology every time we took the offering up. And uh, praise God from all, whom all blessings flow. Right? Man, we, we, they'd stand up and they'd quote the Apostles' Creed. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I know some of you ex-Methodists, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, I believe in God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, you know, maker of heaven and earth. They would quote that stuff, and I remember as a kid just looking around going, what are these people doing? Because, see, my dad, my dad <clears throat> got saved and was in a Baptist church, and in that Baptist church, it was an independent Baptist church where literally they, they, they'd walk around the room. I mean, they, they'd, they'd form like a, a Holy Spirit conga line, and they would, they would go around, and they, they were talking about mar- marching down the walls of Jericho, you know. And man, I, was, I almost couldn't color my page. Because they were distracting. I'd be over there as a kid laying on the bench. You know, they'd wake you up, shout and all that. And then when my grandmother got older, we went to the Methodist church. My dad was trying to be a Methodist preacher. And uh, they told him he had too much Baptist in him and he had to leave. And I remember listening to those songs. Remember, I remember being in my grandmother's church. And they would sing, uh, I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful love lifted me. And man, I, I still don't like it the way that tune goes, so I slowed it down and did it my own self. But I remember them singing, Bring in the sheaves. And, and all this, I remember the song director doing this the whole time. I mean, it was the same thing. And I was like, What is that guy doing? And finally, I learned how to do it, and I would do it, you know, with him. You know, he trying to keep the tempo. He'd have a horrible time here with us today. Because we, 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 we sing songs and people get to clapping and Wes is up there going, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. Because for some reason, this Baptist church just cannot clap. It's horrible. 
It's, and if you're a clapper, I apologize. It's just horrible. It's offbeat. And we're like, oh, and Wes is going, don't, 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 don't. Yeah. But I can remember sitting there as a kid, and they'd sing songs, and we'd memorize them, and we'd sing them and stuff. And, and uh, they didn't really mean anything at all. <clears throat> but I can remember this song, and I'll try my best to tell, uh, tell you what it was. Let me, let me tell you the history of it. But there's a guy by the name of William Henry Parker that was from Nottingham, England, and he was a Sunday school teacher. And uh, his kids kept coming to him over and over and over and was asking him to tell us another story. Tell us another story about Jesus. Tell, come on, tell us more about him. Tell us more about him. And he, he actually wanted a song to be written for his Sunday school class. And a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby that some of you probably have read about and know about in much of the hymn books wrote this song. But I can remember as a kid listening to them sing this song. It says, Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in this story so tender, it's clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper, love paid the ransom for me. Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious. It's the sweetest that ever was heard. You know, that's what we're here today for. Tell me another story, Brother Steve, about Jesus. Tell me something else that he's done. Tell me one more time how he died. And how he was buried. Tell how he lives again. Think about when our eyes are closing from this feeble body. And we're about to experience a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Stay, let me weep while you whisper that love paid the ransom for me. Love paid your debt of sin. Love paid the ransom. You know why we're here today? Because of this very scripture that Paul gave, just two scriptures, and Brother Brandon, come on now. The Bible says in Galatians 4, it says, when the fullness of time, man, I, I'm telling you, I about took off like a rocket. <clears throat> Every time I've been reading this scripture, just about to explode. Look at what it says, when the fullness of time was come, when God's timing was right, it says that God sent forth his son. I think about it. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. It says God sent his son. Look at what it says. Made of a woman. Amen. According to the prophecy. Not the man. Born of a woman. Look at what it says. Made under the law. Brother Craig, you know what that means? He was fashioned under the same sin debt that you and I have. It says to redeem them that were under the law. He did all of that in order to reach us. It says that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, 
God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what that word means? Daddy. That we can say, Abba, I need you. We have the right, Brother Ron, to say he is my dad, my father. It says, wherefore, you are no more a servant, but a son, a daughter. It says, and if a son, look at this, then an heir of God through Christ. And that don't excite you. You know why? Because it says Jesus, what, was caught up. This child was caught up unto God. What was the last part? Come on. He was caught up unto God. Verse 5 of chapter 12. Caught up unto God and to his throne. You got a Bible right there, people. And to his throne. What? The, some of you go, who cares? Because we're sons and daughters of God. The Bible says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, because he overcame, look, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's why you need to know. Look at this last part. He says, to him that overcometh. To him that overcometh. The Bible says, Brother Brandon, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Amen. We need to look around to your neighbor and say, I'm an overcomer. Amen. I'm an overcomer. I have victory in Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm not going to go to heaven and just wander around. I got a seat that I can sit in the same seat with Jesus. John and James asked for that seat. You know why this is so cool? You know why this is so great? I know that you're going, no, Brother Steve, why? Please tell me. Because... Ever since the day that Satan fell, what did he want? What did he want in heaven and it caused him to fall? He wanted the throne. He wanted the seat, amen. And Satan hates Jesus because he is sitting where Satan has wanted to sit, amen. Yes, woo, that's good. And so now Satan hates you. He hates you. He hates me. Why? Because we will sit, because we've overcome. I love this scripture. He says, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcome, amen, and am set down with my father in his throne. I'm telling you, I love it. You say, oh, Brother Steve, I just don't really understand it. Listen, do you, anybody ever have a brother? Anybody have a brother or a sister? Yeah, you, you, did you grow up in this wonderful, peaceful home where you never fought, never had any arguments? I did, you know. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that I had a brother and not a sister. I've seen brother and sister fights, and I'll tell you something, the boys didn't come out too hot with the claw marks. I'm glad I had a brother. We'd beat the tar out of each other, but a girl would claw you up. Listen, you ever remember whenever that big brother or maybe that big sister or maybe it was a little brother, and they were coming at you, and you were running, and you were running, and you were trying to do what? My dad had a seat that he said in the house. Did your dad have a seat that he sits in the house? Did your husband have a seat that he sits in the house at the dinner table? It's like they have some kind of seat. It's their throne, I think. It's like, you know what? I can remember as a kid, my brother was sitting in front of the TV. Bear with me. Please hang with me. My brother's sitting in front of the TV, and he'd been mean to me that day. My brother's sitting in the cell in front of the TV, and I just went by, and I just touched his nose. I did. I gave a light brisk across the nose, and it just started bleeding, and I took off running. I took off running. You know where I was going? I wasn't going to my room because he'd come in my room. No, 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 no. I was going to my daddy's chair. Or I was going behind my mama's seat. And I was running. You know it? And they'd come over there, and they're just trying to get you, and they're mad, and look what he did. And you're behind them going. Huh, you remember that? Did anybody have a great childhood like mine? 
You remember that? As long as you were in daddy's seat, you can't do nothing to me, buddy. You know what I mean? And my brother was like, I'll meet you at Willis's. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was going to pay later, but I wasn't going to pay as long as I was in the chair. Church, I'm telling you, I don't know how to explain it any other way. Satan can't get us. He can't get us. We are overcomers. And there are times that I look at you walking around with your head down and you look defeated. And you look discouraged. And I want to remind you, look up. Look up. Your redemption draws an eye. Look up. Listen, if you can't handle it, run to the Father's chair. Run to the throne. And listen, let him sit there. And then you can look at the devil and go, he can't get you. Church, that's great. That's great about our salvation. Man, what, what a day. Because he sent his son, because he did all this, that's what we got. Amen. Praise God. Man, I'm excited. I, I, 